The Supreme Court heard arguments today in what is widely seen as the most significant abortion case in a generation. The justice's ruling likely won't come for months, but the hearing itself sparked intense debate both inside and outside the court here in Washington. A CBS News poll finds more than 60% of Americans want to keep the 1973 Roe v. Wade ruling, which prohibits states from banning abortion after about 24 weeks of pregnancy. We get more now from CBS's Jan Crawford at the Supreme Court. From across the country, thousands came to make their voices heard from Michigan. It's a very serious threat to our ability to shape our futures and our lives. To this mother and daughter from Pennsylvania. I pray to God that it's overturned for the sanctity of upholding the sanctity of human life. Inside the courtroom, liberal justices argued Roe versus Wade was too established to overturn. It's been 50 years of decisions saying that this is part of our law and would put at risk the court's legitimacy. Will this institution survive the stench that this creates in the public perception that the Constitution and its reading are just political acts? But a majority of the justices appeared inclined to uphold Mississippi's ban on abortions after 15 weeks. Chief Justice John Roberts suggested the court wouldn't have to overturn Roe. If you think that the issue is one of choice, uh, uh, that women should have a choice to terminate their pregnancy, why would 15 weeks be an inappropriate line? But that would still be a major retreat from its last big abortion case in 1992, when the court drew that line at viability around 24 weeks. Mississippi's only abortion clinic, now at the center of the fight, performs abortions up to 16 weeks. That's the question, is where does the line get drawn? It's just, it's them chipping away. A lawyer from Mississippi said the justices shouldn't be drawing the lines, that the issue should be up to the states, which struck a chord with Justice Brett Kavanaugh. Why should this court be the arbiter rather than uh, Congress, the state legislatures, state Supreme Courts, the people being able to uh, resolve this. Now, back in 1992, the court seemed then to be almost certain to overturn Roe versus Wade, but former Justice Anthony Kennedy changed his mind and provided that key vote to save it. So that's an important reminder that no matter how things may look today, a lot can change between now and June when we expect this decision. Margaret? And Jen Crawford will be covering it all. Thank you. All right, episode 45 of the Friday Detox. Welcome to it. Today, if you did not pick up from that intro audio, we're going to be talking about uh, the Supreme Court deciding to pick up the uh, Mississippi abortion law that came out, I think... Um, it was earlier this year, sometime in September, I think, or August. And uh, we'll get into the specifics of the actual law itself, but breaking it down, Mississippi is banning abortion for 15 weeks. And effectively, what the Supreme Court's looking at is the overturning of Roe v. Wade. Before we get into any of that, I've had discussions, arguments, whatever, with many different people, some in my own family, about abortion. Um, 
lots of texting, typing, you know, long messages back and forth. And, uh, well, we'll start here. I have not successfully ever swayed anybody's mind about abortion and vice versa. Um, this is an argument that Americans seem to be so entrenched and it, it makes it so that it seems pointless to even bring it up, right? Like, why even have the discussion if everybody's already decided what they believe? I think, this is my hypothesis, may not be true, I don't know, you let me know. But the people who are vocal about abortion, either pro or against, the ones who bring it up, the ones who say something, the ones who post something on their Instagram or their Facebook or their Twitter or whatever the, whatever the kids are using these days, the ones who are talking about it are the ones who are entrenched. I, I will say that I am, I mean, I don't like to, to uh, cast myself as, air quotes, closed-minded, but when it comes to this issue, I'm pretty, pretty decided. And many people are, but... There are a lot of people out there who don't engage, who don't talk about it, who don't bring it up. And I think they're the ones who may or may not be decided on it. I think there's a lot of um, information that people are lacking. And there's a lot of things that people are just naturally either for or against that it's so obvious that they should be for or against that thing that who cares what a Supreme Court says, or some governor, or some legislator. Who cares? If they came today and legalized slavery, I don't think it would have a huge effect on American society because, I, I mean, what, 99.999% of us are in pretty much agreement that slavery is bad, right? So, before we get into a bunch of that stuff, I want to start by saying that anything that I say here in this episode is coming from um, from, from a mindset of love and compassion. It's amazing to me that people can hold beliefs. There are people in my family who hold these beliefs that Republicans and conservatives just want to control women's bodies. And that this is all about control. And, and I have to s- stop. I, I wish I could just stop them in, in, their, in their thought process and, and, and ask them, hey, you know me. You know Bobby. You've known Bobby since I was a little kid. I don't believe, and I, and I know I don't want to control women's bodies. I don't care what you do with your body. But somehow there's a disconnect where we know these people who are nice people, and, and vice versa, it works both ways. We know people who are nice, nice people. And we don't figure that knowledge in into how we we characterize that side of the argument. We say they want to control men's bodies, but then when you take it down to an individual level, I would never say that my friend who believes in, abor- in, in easy access to abortion for anybody, I would never say, oh, you, you hate babies, you just want to slaughter all babies. I don't believe that, but I think that there is a disconnect in the facts and the emotions that we allow to weigh in to our to our mental thought processes. So I'm not here to offend anybody. 
I'm not here to advocate for the restriction of anybody's rights. I have morals and principles that I believe in, and I believe in them deeply. But I would never use, I would never lean on my own moral beliefs to justify negating somebody else's rights. And somebody else's rights to believe differently than I do. That's not why I'm here. That's not the, the, the point. And I, I can already, I can feel it. The people listening who are pro-choice are already, well, but that's what you're doing. You're wanting to restrict women's rights. No. And, and I'll get into that. Why that's not what I believe. Because in the end, my concern is for life. My concern, it, it, it really does boil down to life. It boils down to what is a life and what is worth protecting. And we've seen these news stories come out just this week that these, I forgot, nanobots, this, this clump of, hey, turn amateur hour over here. That was me, by the way. I'm yelling at myself. Um, but with these nanobots that came out, these robotic cells that have been created that are now reproducing and that they are, air quotes, alive. These are living cells that are robotic and that can be used for a variety of different uh, the healthcare implications, scientific and technological implications. But if you read those news stories, just the headlines, they're alive. It's a life form. It's a living organism. Yes, robotic. But now with AI introduced to these bio whatever, I'm not even going to try to pretend I know how to use the correct terminology, but they're referring to these cells, these clumps of cells as living organisms that are reproducing. So if that is life, if a single cell organism in, in the most remote region of the desert or the deepest part of the ocean or on another planet can be called life, then I believe, and this is the emotional part, this is the, the, the opinionated part of this podcast, I believe that we have a moral and spiritual duty to speak up, even for just a clump of cells, within a mother's womb. Because that clump of cells has unlimited potential. We were all just a clump of cells at some point. And so here's what I don't want to do. Now, obviously, this is kind of one-sided because it's a podcast. You know, my computer's not talking back at me. But we've all had those arguments with people about abortion. You know, once or twice, or maybe you have them all the time. You're always in the, in the Twitter threads or whatever. But being a conservative, being a Christian, and all the, the, the morals and principles and beliefs and opinions and emotions that come along with that, every time I've had a discussion about abortion with somebody who is pro-choice, I get immediate um, eye-rolling and exasperated sighs, and uh, obviously I don't know what I'm talking about. And, and that's what I want to avoid. That's what I think we're all, if you're here, you're listening to this podcast, you know, I don't, I don't baby you guys. Um, I think we're all mature enough here to accept that we're going to disagree, but to then have the, uh, we can, even though we disagree, we can have the emotional IQ to set the disagreements aside and just discuss. And so that, that's the goal. We can't approach this argument with emotion from either direction, especially this argument. 
because it does boil down to life. Whether you're saying the, the, the life and well-being and pursuit of happiness rights for the mother, or what I would, I'm saying is the life and the rights that come with being a human being who's alive, inside or outside of the womb. So there's the two standing points. Now, with feelings aside, with all of that kind of aside, I want to just lay some facts on you. I want to discuss what is Roe v. Wade. Because a lot of people, if you ask them what is Roe v. Wade, they might know what it is. And if they know what it is, they're probably going to say, well, it legalized abortion. And that's about the extent of, of their knowledge of it. And that's the, that was the extent of my knowledge of it for a very long time until I became curious about these issues. Um, if you ask somebody about fetal viability, how does that play into Roe v. Wade? And, and, and then from there, how does that play into this Mississippi abortion case, um, which is being nicknamed, the, or not nicknamed, but it's called the Gestational Age Act. Um, so there's three points we're going to hit pretty heavily. Roe v. Wade, fetal viability, and the Mississippi abortion case. And then we're going to jump back into some of the, the nuanced parts of the argument, the maybe more emotional, opinionated parts of the argument, and see if we can come to a final thought. Obviously, it's going to be my final thought, but I hope that you'll, you'll sincerely follow me along this uh, thought process that I'm having with you here. And, and then afterwards, engage in the comments, direct messaging, come on the podcast. I don't care. It'd be great to have somebody who disagrees with me on the podcast. Uh, we're not going to get a ruling from the Supreme Court of the United States about the Mississippi case until probably June of 2022 is what they're saying. So we've got time to talk about this and, um, and discuss it. So that's what we're going to do. And we're going to start. Uh, with Roe v. Wade. Now I'm pulling this from Cornell University, which if you've ever watched The Office, you know Cornell is a very prestigious Ivy League school that Andy Bernard went to. Uh, so this is good info. But uh, it's, it's very basic. You can find it anywhere. It's very basic Roe v. Wade case information. And, and I'm not going to get into the case as far as the different uh, statutes that were, that were used to argue for or against whatever. Just what did Roe v. Wade do? Most people, if you ask them, would say Roe v. Wade legalized abortion. It did not. That is actually wrong. Um, Roe v. Wade was originally based on fetal viability. So there was no blanket abortion is allowed or abortion is banned. It was when can the baby survive outside of the mother? Now, if the baby cannot survive outside of the mother, the argument was, well, then it's not actually a baby. It's still just a clump of cells growing. So we're going to um, allow you to abort. So it was based on trimesters, obviously try three, three trimesters. The first trimester, um, without restriction, the mother was, was granted the right, the constitutional right, actually, which we'll get into, uh, to have the abortion without restriction. The second trimester it was subject to restriction by state because there are some instances where the fetus would be viable in other cases, not so. So it, it was not a yes or a no. It was, it'll be restricted. It, it depends on the reason, depends on the cause. And then the fetus was considered viable after the third trimester. And so abortion was considered illegal at that point, except if necessary to protect the life of the mother. But here's where 
I'm going to break a little bit from just the pure facts and, and, and insert my own thought process a little bit. Um, that's where it, it kind of, I guess, changes course from where we're at now. Um, because what, what Roe v. Wade actually set, what it actually um, made fact, was that in all instances, the state, meaning the government, the federal government, had a vested interest in protecting both the health of the mother, but then too, also the life of the fetus, the life of the unborn baby. That was still a priority at the time. Now, you could argue the people who were arguing for Roe v. Wade maybe were less concerned about the life of the fetus and more about the health and rights of the mother. But regardless, in the, in the actual setting of the law, that was the, the focus of the state, was the health of the mother, the life of the fetus. If the life of the fetus can be preserved, it should be. And it, as much as people hate on Roe v. Wade, I think that that is still... It's not a good place to base law, but it's a good place to start a discussion, I think. And it's a, I th- I'm loving that Roe v. Wade is being challenged right now because it's bringing the discussion back and it's it's kind of highlighting a lot of things that people, a lot of misconceptions that people have about not just abortion, but what Roe v. Wade does. And again, we'll get into some more of that in a little bit. Um, but like I said, Roe v. Wade did not legalize abortion. And that's important, as we'll see in a second because that means that ending Roe v. Wade does not outlaw abortion. It's not like all of a sudden anybody who's ever had an abortion, thought about having an abortion, or has an abortion is now a criminal. It's not that every doctor after, after that is going to lose their medical license. What it does is it puts the decision back into the hands of states, state legislators. Now, I'm hoping you listen to that introduction uh, audio where Brett Kavanaugh was saying that, that this is a big S state. This is a federal issue. The the federal government should be deciding on this, whereas Mississippi legislators are arguing that this should be a state's issue. So, my opinion, abortion is murder. You probably know that by now. I think abortion in all cases should be avoided as as much as it can be avoided. Um, I'll I'll say I'm on the opposite spectrum of shout your abortion. I'll I'll gladly stand on that hill. Um, so in my mind, I think maybe it should be a federal issue because I see it hand in hand with murder, with things that are federal crimes. I don't think that's going to happen. I really don't. I think the next best step is to kick it back to the states and let the states decide for their own people based off of who gets elected into the office. That's how our, our system works. If you don't like what President Trump is doing, vote him out of office. That's exactly what happened. If you don't like the fact that your state is going to ban abortion like Mississippi, like Texas, like Florida, like a lot of these, um, not even just Southern, I think it was more Southern and then to the East towards Florida, the the, the Bible Belt really, uh, states that have already said that if Roe v. Wade is overturned, they're going to have these heartbeat laws coming in, the, they're going to ban abortion to different degrees. Um, and if you don't like that, then you got two courses of action. And, and this is where I, I have to kind of preach to people. As much as I don't like doing that, not preach, but our system is not set up to respond to society's immediate outrage 
on purpose. That's called mob rule. That's that's what we we saw throughout history. Anytime any sort of democracy was tried, it was immediate. All you had to do was sway 51% of the population, and then you, you get what you want, and then it, screw you to the other 49%. That's not what we have in this country. We do not have mob rule. What we have is a republic, a constitutional republic, where if you don't like what's going on, you can try and sway the minds of the current legislators, the current Congress, either on the federal or state level, and, and have them try to enact laws or, or uh, policies that go along with what you're feeling at the time. But it's not meant to be a quick process, and that's on purpose, because we need that pendulum, the societal pendulum, to swing slowly and steadily and naturally with society. When you start artificially speeding that up, that's where you see violence throughout history. And so if, if you're, I'm speaking more to specific people than I know in Texas who were just completely outraged about uh, Governor Abbott's stance and, and the fact that Texas, the legislator, is going to basically ban, abor- ban abortion based on the heartbeat uh, rule, where there's a detectable heartbeat that they're considering that a child, which I, I don't see as amazingly uh illogical but that's that's a different argument i guess but if you're one of those people that was outraged and it seemed like most of y'all were outraged for about 13 minutes and then didn't hear anything from you after that but regardless if that's you 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 kind of got well i guess three courses of action one suck it up and which i don't like i wouldn't i will never suck it up Right now, abortion is still kind of on on the winning side of the argument, so I'm not going to shut up to, to be against abortion. And so if all of a sudden the pendulum swings and now we're seeing Roe v. Wade overturned, uh, a lot of states banning abortion, you can either suck it up, which I don't think you should. I think you should stick by your principles if they're legitimate principles. Or you can become more active politically, become somewhat of a political activist, depending on your, your ability and interest in the issues, and start advocating for your government officials, local and state, to, to to start electing people that agree with you and that will overturn that and re-legalize it or, or unban it. Or step three, you can move. You can move to a state where abortion is legal. Well, I'm getting way ahead of myself, um, but I'll, I'll leave it at that. Roe v. Wade, bringing it back to the facts, I'm sorry. Um, Roe v. Wade does not legalize abortion, so overturning Roe v. Wade does not outlaw abortion. Period. Fact. True story. Moving on to fetal viability. This is another very, very important issue because, as we, we discussed, Roe v. Wade was based on fetal viability on trimesters. What we'll see is the Mississippi abortion case is actually based on weeks. And, and that can be... That's very important because... We've seen a lot of thresholds used to determine when a fetus is alive. Viability outside of the womb, trimesters, weeks, heartbeat detection. Can it feel pain? There's been so many studies that show that, well, we've seen studies that a carrot can feel pain. If you remember that from like what, elementary? Well, people have done studies and somehow carrots respond to pain. Um, There's very similar studies have been done on fetuses where they not only respond to the pain, but they recoil from the instruments being inserted there to what well, for the abortion. And that's important, I think. I mean, it, it creates a very graphic uh, 
picture of what's happening. We can't deny, though, that scientifically speaking, fetal viability has accelerated. Taking a, 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 an unborn child, a, a premature baby, out of the womb 50 years ago is not the same as doing that today. We can keep them alive uh, artificially on, on different instruments outside of the womb for longer periods of time, and there's a much better chance of survival. So that has to be weighed in. It has to be. And if it's not, you're not presenting a well-thought-out, mature argument. But at some point, to me, it seems that fetal viability changed from what would be seen as more of a principled stance in Roe v. Wade with the health of the mother and the life of the fetus being in focus to this, this ceiling that nobody on the pro-choice side wants to see moved. Because if, if you're basing your, your right to abort a child, an unborn child, on whether or not it can survive outside of the womb, well, now the, the increasing ability to keep a child alive outside of the womb is a threat to your argument. I hope that makes sense. I'm, I'm trying to, I got a lot of words in front of me that, that are, that are, uh, I'm trying to get through. I'll say that again. If your argument's based on protecting the health of the mother and the life of the fetus, you have to consider an increasing ability to keep an unborn child alive outside of the womb. So I guess now it's not an unborn child. Now it's a, a born child prematurely outside of the womb, our ability to keep that baby alive has increased to where now they can be kept alive longer from an earlier premature birth. But what it seems like and what we've seen is that they don't want to, the pro-choice side of the argument doesn't really want to acknowledge the fact that we have increased technology now. Um, and acknowledging that increased technology is actually counterproductive to their argument. It seems that viability has been has replaced what I would see as a natural baseline of, of is it alive or not to should it be alive or not, and if we do this, would it live or not? And that has slippery sloped to this, what I see as a very abhorrent argument that many have the moral gall to suggest that a fetus is nothing more than a parasite until it can survive without the mother. Now, it seems logical to a lot of people. I think I would argue you've got to have a pretty kind of a calloused outlook on life in general to accept that. I understand the logic behind it. Biologically speaking, it's a lump of cells sapping resources from the host. And if it was excised from the host, it would die seems to fit a lot of the, the criteria for a parasite. I'm acknowledging that. However, there's a very distinct difference between a microbial parasite and a clump of cells that's going to grow to be something with unlimited potential. You. You were a clump of cells. So to me, the dividing line is clear and inarguable and very revolting to me. The dividing line of should an abortion be allowed or not really is the desire to have that baby, the desire to protect that life. So, 
wrapping up fetal viability unless the, vi the viability argument is centered on a desire to increase and accelerate viability in order to save more and more babies, it's simply a loophole. It's a technicality that the pro-choice argument has hung its hat on for decades. Now that that argument is falling apart, thank God, the abortion argument has become increasingly centered on rape, incest, and life of the mother. We're going to get into that argument in a second. So now I want to move to the, the actual Mississippi abortion case. Some quick facts about that that you may or may not know. Um, the, the, the Mississippi rule would ban abortions before 15 weeks. And this is coming from CNN politics, by the way. It's called the Gestational Age Act. And it allows abortion after 15 weeks only in medical emergencies, life of the mother, or for severe fetal abnormality. Even that I'm a little bit weird on, but I, I get it. I, you've been told through, uh, they, they took samples and they've told you, well, it's got this and this in its DNA and it's got, you know, whatever percent chance of having this deformity or this uh, defect or this disease or whatever. Okay. Still a little eugenics, still a little bit Margaret Sanger to me, still a little bit uh, Hitler, but Okay. I understand if you got a chance to avoid a child being born with some life-altering deformity, you want to protect them from that. Okay, sure. Um, one of the big arguments against the Mississippi abortion case is that there's no exception for rape or incest. That's another thing that I've got kind of an issue with. I feel like rape and incest is one of those issues that we have to be flexible on. I don't know. Again, it's it's so tough for me because... Is every life precious or is it not? Does every life have rights that come along with it or not? If it is a life, which we've argued it is, we argue that there, there, are, there are robotic nanobots that are part robot, part biological cell and that they're considered a living life form. So if that's a life form, this clump of cells that could grow into the next president of the United States is a life. Does it deserve protection? And that's tough for me. But speaking about unity, in, uh, rape, incest, life of the mother, it's something like 2 to 3% on the high end of abortions. So if you want to talk about unity, there it is. If we can outlaw every the convenience abortions, the, well, I'm, I'm just not ready for a child. I was ready to have sex but I wasn't ready for a child. I say we, we say tough to 97, 98%. And I think we can unite on that with a lot of people, at least according to their own arguments, right? Because every time you, you bring up abortion, somebody from the pro-choice pro crowd, oh, you, you would, if I was raped, you would want me to have that baby and have to stare at the, the, the child of rape for the rest of its life. That's always the argument. Every single time I've gotten into an argument with somebody or a discussion, a spirited discussion, I'm not angry and passionate. Um, every time I've gotten into one of those discussions, rape, incest, life of the mother, that's what the argument hinges on. And it's lazy. It's a lazy argument. The biggest part of the Mississippi abortion case is that it challenges the constitutional right portion of Roe v. Wade. Roe v. Wade argued and settled that 
it is a constitutional right for a mother to decide to have an abortion. Now, obviously, that was first trimester. Mississippi's arguing 15 weeks. But regardless, it is saying you don't have a constitutional right to end another life for whatever reason. Now, if you got medical consulting saying we've got to make a decision here, that's different. But it's not, oh, it's my right. It's not the same as owning a firearm. It's not the same as free speech. It's not the same as the right to assemble or to go to church. Freedom of the press, that's, that's not what this is. Constitutional right to end another life doesn't exist. That's the argument from Mississippi. Critics are calling the, the Mississippi case a ban on abortion. And their argument is that 15 weeks is not long enough for most people to know if they're pregnant or not. Now, technically, is it long enough? Yes. The problem being, if you're not trying to get pregnant, and you're just, I guess you're just having unprotected sex, then maybe you're not taking regular pregnancy tests. Maybe you're not monitoring. Um, so there you go. Uh, I'm, I've got so many of my own thoughts put in here, but I'm trying to stick away from my, my, my opinions as much as I can. And as you can tell, it's extremely hard for me. Um, and side note, that's the difficulty with this entire argument, like I said earlier is that we've all got emotion and opinion wrapped up in this so much when we've, we've centered, you know, I was talking last episode about identities. We've got our identities wrapped in these arguments and it's hard to separate ourselves from those identities because then who am I, right? Um, so I'm trying. <laughs> Bear with me. Um, and then the last argument against this Mississippi abortion case, I heard somebody making it yesterday, um, there's five decades of settled precedent of Roe v. Wade, that Roe v. Wade is law. Roe v. Wade is legal. Roe v. Wade is constitutional because we've accepted it for five decades. That argument to me is it's, it's, it's stupid. Like, I can't believe anybody would even, would even make it, let alone fall for it, because guess what was also legal before it wasn't? Slavery. There's so many things that are outlawed in today's world that used to be legal. And so should we accept the argument? Well, that's how it's always been. So that's how it's always going to be. Of course not. These are progressives making an argument that because it's been legal for five decades that it has to be. T to me, the only thing that comes into my mind is shut up because it's, it's a lazy argument. It's, it's talking down to the people hearing it and it's assuming that the, the American people are dumb enough to fall for it. I don't think you're dumb enough. If you're a little bit curious about anything, you're smart enough to piece that together and realize that's a bunch of BS. So before I get into my final thoughts, I want to really focus and try to acknowledge because I don't have somebody here arguing against me. I'd love to. That's up to y'all. Spread the word. Leave the reviews so I can get out there and get people on the show and really have discussions. Um, but when I'm having these discussions with somebody from the pro-choice side of the argument, um, there are I, I have to believe legitimate concerns on that side of the argument. So what is what is always brought up to justify a pro-choice stance? Well, we talked about a few rape, incest, life of the mother. We don't need to get back into those. It's a very small percentage of abortions, extremely small percentage, two to three percent statistically. So to me, it, it's an outlier. Like we can argue about those in real time. If somebody really was raped, let a local court decide that. 
or incest or the life of the mother. It doesn't have to go to the court. Let that be between the person who, who is suffering and their health care provider, their doctor, the person who's going to perform the procedure. Let them weigh the risks based off of your specific um, health situation. Here's your chances either way. And, and handle it case by case. Why do we need a federal blanket mandate in either direction to address something that's 2 to 3% of the population? Makes no sense. Uh, we've got a new argument coming out. Or I guess it's not really new, but it's coming out stronger. That abortion is health care. Health care for who? Certainly not for the baby, right? It's health care for the mother in that I- I'm not sure. Because again, we're excluding the two to three percent. I know, I know you pro-choicers out there are hearing my words and you're, you're, you're still clinging to rape, incest, life of the mother. Get rid of that part of the argument. Please try to. And now think, is abortion health care? Now I'm talking about the convenience abortions that to me, the most abhorrent, the, I was irresponsible, had too much to drink, didn't think it could happen to me. I was just dumb. I, I didn't, didn't think it would, it would happen. I really didn't think that I would get pregnant off of that one time. But I'm not ready for a baby, so... This is a really tough argument to make. I don't understand how anybody can make it. And we've also heard the my body, my choice argument. That's been a fun one recently uh, because of the vaccine, but I won't get into that. Um... But my body, my choice. It's my body. The baby's growing in my body, so I should be able to decide if I want to carry that baby to term or abort it now before um, it's viable. You still have to acknowledge there are two lives involved. Take it, take it to a drunk driving accident. Pregnant mother is killed in a drunk driving accident. In many states, that driver can be charged, maybe all states, I don't know, but that driver can and could be charged with two counts of murder. There are two lives. So what's the difference? What if that what if that pregnant mother was on her way to abort the baby? How does that weigh in? I don't know. It's one of those one of those uh if you could could kill baby Hitler, would you? You know, it's like I don't know. Then there's the other argument. Well, oh, back to my body, my choice. The, the other thing I have to, to weigh in there is that, it, yes, it's your body, but there's also another life. There's also another body there. So what about that body's choice? What about that life's choice? It doesn't get a choice because you can't hear it. But that does that mean it does not have rights as a living human, human being, growing human being with human potential? Does it have rights? And at what point does it get those rights? The next argument being, um, and I hate these arguments, but financial, career, pursuit of happiness implications of having a baby too early. Well, you know, I'm 18, 17, 18, now I got a baby. Odds are going to college is kind of out of the question because I'm a single mother. I got to work hard to now provide for this baby and for myself. Parents kicked me out of the house or whatever. I can't afford to go to college. First of all, financial aid. Come on. Student loans are so easy to get. I mean, I know people who basically live off of student loans. It's like, 
you know, working has is, is, is gotten too difficult. So I think I'm going to take a break from working, go back to school, get a student loan. They're going to give me more than I need to pay my tuition. I'm going to live off of that loan, have a part-time job, and that's just going to be my life for the next three to five years. I've seen it. It happens a lot. Hell, I've done it. <laughs> um, so that to me just is, is a non-argument. Uh, babies born into broken homes or to drug addicts end up living in poor conditions. I get it. I understand. It's not desirable. You don't want a baby living in a home where there's abuse. You don't want a baby living in a, a poor home where they're they're struggling. They're not able to eat. They're not getting consistent meals. Yeah, terrible. It's it's disgusting. I hate it. But again, what is the value you're placing on that life? Is any life better than no life? There's a lot of implications to that argument alone beyond just unborn children. Now, Outside of the womb, children, you know, you're looking at partial birth abortions. How about, uh, we saw, oh shoot, what is her name? I can't remember her name. Uh, just try to make the argument that basically a fetus is the same as a, as a, as an adult in a vegetative state that you can poke and prod that person. There's no response. Is that person alive? Well, according to the abortion argument, no, that person is not alive. So there's your slippery slope right there. Now there there are there are living conditions, there are health conditions that justify ending a life. That's a, that's a, a road that I don't even understand why we would want to go down. But here we are. Um, a weird one I saw was that some people because if Roe v. Wade is overturned, uh, some states are going to. Um, ban abortion to whatever extent. And so if somebody in that state, like Texas, Florida, Mississippi, I'm sure Alabama, Louisiana, if somebody in those states wants to go get an abortion, they might have to drive up to like 12 hours to get to a state that abortion is legal. And to me, I'm like, you mean you're going to have to actually get in a car and drive some distance to end a life? Like, wow. That's it. To me, it's just, illogical again but that's one of the arguments being made that now it's going to be more difficult to get an abortion which to, of course if i'm banning abortion obviously i want it to be more difficult to, to get an abortion so i don't get that one either uh the last one and this is the one that has always astounded me minorities and impoverished people are more heavily impacted by restrictions to abortion i'm not arguing against it Again, as I always try to do, flip the argument. So that means that if abortion was banned, there would be more minorities. And yet the people who want to ban abortion are called white evangelical Christians who are racist, white supremacists, MAGA voters, Trump voters, blah, blah, blah. Again, very lazy argument, but that's what people have stuck with for some reason. And a lot of these people don't take into account the original intent of Planned Parenthood. Planned Parenthood, Margaret's, who was founded by Margaret Sanger, her intent, she, she was a eugenics person, which is, Hitler learned a lot from the eugenics people of the United States. If you look back at history, Hitler learned a lot from studying uh, biology, the biology of humans, 
uh, DNA? How can we get a desirable human and rid ourselves of a less than desirable human, biologically speaking? Now, of course, Hitler didn't even match his own super race theory. Uh, He was kind of the opposite of it, but that was the goal. How do we weed out the less than desirable before the, the before the less than desirables are even born? That's eugenics. And that's what Planned Parenthood was founded on. Planned, Planned Parenthood existed in minority communities, not for the purpose of providing a service to minority communities, but to provide a way for them to basically exterminate themselves. And that's well documented. And she worked with uh, black pastors. She worked with... Uh, political leaders to basically make the argument that this is their right because we don't want them catching on to the fact that while they're killing themselves we're sipping on champagne over here that's a really disgusting sad reality now Planned Parenthood finally addressed their links to Margaret Sanger and it basically said well we have separated from that original argument to what Margaret Sanger originally became, which was fighting for women's rights. But the original intent of Margaret Sanger wasn't that. That was a facade for what she actually wanted. And what she actually wanted was the extermination through the, the, the self-imposed extermination of the less than desirables, the African-American communities, the poor, the people who, well, the people who she set up the abortion clinics in, in their communities. And that's a really dark way to end this, um, but I've got to... No, I'm just playing. Um, so my final thoughts. Um, to me, the battle over abortion is not in the courts. If you're, I think I, I heard a speech, and it was... I want to say Morgan Freeman. It might have been uh, Denzel Washington. Um, but basically saying that if, if, you're re- if you're waiting for the federal government to make a decision on this issue, it's already too late for the argument. Because you, you've, you've gone past trying to change people's minds to now you just want to shove it down their throat. And that's what we've seen really starting after Bush. Um, and we really started legislating just so much, skipping the states and going straight to the federal government saying, hey, we need you to do this. You know, we, we want universal health care, but instead of trying it out in our state first, we're, we want the, the federal government to mandate it for everybody. To me, the battle shouldn't be in the courts. Because here, if they legalize slavery today, the vast, vast majority of us would recognize that slavery is still wrong. Even though it's technically, air quotes, legal, it's still wrong. So the battle isn't over legal precedent or over constitutional issues. The battle... I believe, is for the soul. The soul of Americans. The soul, the the valuing of life. We're supposed to fear for the extinction of the polar bear. But we can't fear for, for the, the extinction of, a, of a, an individual life. And, that, and that's, that's really what it boils down to is the individual. Marxism, communism, socialism, the the individual is just a means to an end. That end being the benefit of all society. And as soon as a life or as soon as um, an industry, as soon as a company or as soon as a constitutional right doesn't contribute 
in their eyes to the to the benefit of all of society well then it it has to be eradicated and and that's based on historical precedent that's what's always happened the american system capitalism free market capitalism constitutional republic versus pure democracy all of those things center the focus on the individual and the individual's right to petition their government, the individual's right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, regardless of what any other individual would say is the value of that person's life. How many cases have we seen, so many, of people who were told by their doctor, your child's going to be born with Down syndrome, your child's going to be born with this or with that, we advise you abort. And the parents, at least the mother, said, no, I don't believe in abortion. And now and, and they're, they're adults, they're grown now, and they're living successful lives. Some of them, yes, they, they have deformities, they have abnormalities, they've got diseases. But they're alive and thriving and surviving. That is an individual's choice. Now, I can hear it. You're, already, you're, you're jumping back. My body, my choice, that's my individual right. But you, your argument, the pro-choice argument, is my body over the other body that now exists because of my actions. And again, rape, incest, life of the mother, out of the argument. This is not a Handmaid's Tale case. And that's what's being trying to be made. You want to see Handmaid's Tale, look at Afghanistan. Look at the hell that was created in Afghanistan by the Biden administration. That's your Handmaid's Tale. That is a theocracy. That is a government ruled and mandated by a theological belief system. That's not what's happening here. Roe v. Wade is overturned. A lot of people's lives won't change unless you're pro-choice and you live in a pro-life state. Now you've got a decision to make. But just because Roe v. Wade is overturned, don't let anybody fool you into believing that America is going to devolve into some dystopian society where we're all... I don't know, like every dystopian movie you've seen, we're all scrounging for food and, and we're hiding in dark little corners from whoever. That's not what's going to happen. It's not that dramatic. That's just the bait being laid out because here, here's what's going to happen. And I know I'm going long, but I'm feeling it. <laughs> this is what's going to happen. I'm calling it now. A, a decision's going to be made. If Roe v. Wade is upheld... Probably nothing will happen. But the indications are just between yesterday and today that it, it might get overturned. And so what's going to happen then? Well, now our courts, you're suddenly going to hear the term. And, and write this down, please. Make a reminder in your phone for June 2022. You're suddenly going to start hearing the phrase activist courts out of the left. It's, it's going to be amazing. It, it's, it's going to be prophetic. Because that's what you've always heard from the right, especially under the Obama reign, where the courts were acting kind of in lockstep with the agenda of the Obama administration. So you've heard from the right, activist courts. These people aren't focusing on constitutional law. They're focusing on what they want the law to say. Um, but I, I'm getting off track, I guess. But So you're going to hear that argument. If Roe v. Wade is overturned and what's going to happen from that, we have an activist court. Now we need to make 
Washington, D.C. estate, give it extra votes. Now we need increased um, justices on the court. So now they're going to say, well, the number nine is outdated. So now let's add four. Let's add four justices to the Supreme Court. Oh, and guess what? Biden's president. So Biden gets to nominate all four. I think it was Andrew Yang, uh, who who was a failed uh, presidential nominee from New York, was saying that uh, he was in favor of increasing the number of justices, but the the um, the administration that passes that basically doesn't get to nominate any justices. The next administration would nominate, which means it'll never happen. And I think he took that stance on purpose. I like him as much as I disagree with him in many ways. But anyways, let's, let's close this out. I know I'm going long. The reality is that overturning Roe v. Wade will kick that power to legalize abortion back to the states. So like I said before, don't like it, deal with it, fight for change, or move. Those are your choices. My question to you being, if you're on the pro-choice side and you're really worried about this, is your ability to kill an unborn child really that big of a factor in your day-to-day life? Enough to justify this screaming and gnashing of teeth that we've seen ever since um, Texas passed the heartbeat bill and and Mississippi took this stance, the 15-week ban? Is the ability to extinguish life really that big of a deal to you? Because I, I think of things as there's there's the perfect ideal world um, paradise on earth decision that we can we can always like like the Bible's commandment to be Christ-like. We always shoot for that perfection, but we're gonna end up falling short in one way or another. So which side do I want to error on? Do I want to error on the side of less abortion? more children born. Now we've got to rely on the adoption system. We've got to rely on the foster system, which I know is less than ideal. I get it. It's not perfect. Excuse me. So do we err on that side or do we err on the side of, oh, it's going to be born into a less than median income household? Kill it. Oh, it's going to be born with a, a cleft lip? Kill it. Oh, if it's born, I don't get to go to college. Kill it. Would you rather error on that side? I wouldn't. And so, because I understand that I'm, I'm, I'm speaking to an audience of people who may or may not agree with me, if you've had an abortion, I recognize and appreciate the desire to feel justified and to feel that you didn't do anything that wrong. We all do it. Abortion's the the present argument, but the gun rights people, do you do you have a responsibility to because you're promoting gun rights, do you now have a responsibility to promote gun safety, gun education? My opinion, yes. And if you're not, well then you're just fighting for for this this for some kind of a societal declaration that your side of the argument is the righteous side. So again, we all do it. It's maybe not the perfect analogy, but we all do it. And so I understand it. But 
in the end, and again, I'm speaking to some specific people that I've had these discussions with, in the end, if we claim to have some sort of belief in a God, we have to confront the reality that we have we have exterminated millions of lives. And I bring God in because if you believe in God, our knowledge of God comes from the Bible. Okay? Ancient texts, scriptures, all of that, that's where our knowledge of our belief in God comes from. And so we have to now weigh our actions against what do those texts say that we believe to be the inspired word of God. What does it say? Well, it says that God knew us before we were even in the womb. That right there gives me a ton of, and this is completely off topic, off topic I know, but um, where, I, where God is above space and time. And, and there's a lot of theories I have there that are fascinating in my own mind, maybe not in yours, I don't know. But the ability for God to be infinite and all-knowing, to have known us before we were born, means that before we were conceptualized, before, before conception, the Creator had an appreciation for us. And that's a beautiful thing. The Bible says that, that God, God knows us the same as He knows every single star out in the universe. He knows us individually. He knows the number of hairs on our head. We have a personal connection to the creator of the universe, if you believe in that. Which, like I said, I'm speaking to some certain people who you do. You do believe in God. So now weighing that against exterminating the potential life of something that was ordained by God... I would never want to be on that side of history. And beyond that, where I want to leave this is, no matter what side of the argument you're on, you're included in that appreciation, in that love, in that personal connection with God, with the Creator. Your, your political leanings, your political beliefs, right, left, center, liberal, conservative, Republican, Democrat, doesn't matter. It does not matter. So while we discuss these things and while we, we put a lot of weight behind these arguments and these opinions and these facts or non-facts, that never detracts. I never want that to detract from the message of you are loved and you are wanted and appreciated by Jesus, by, from, from God through Jesus. And in every life circumstance, forgiveness is always possible. Um so I want to leave it there, and I, I want us to to walk away from this episode, as we always do, um, but with maybe a little bit extra uh, um, weight, I guess, put on the phrase of being kind to one another. These arguments are pointless if we can't come together as mature adults and just talk about things. If you're getting online and you post something and all of a sudden people are jumping in your DMs telling you how, how crappy of a person you are, that's not the right way to have this message. And if you're the one doing that, if you're the one jumping in people's DMs and beating them down, you're on the wrong side of the argument as well, no matter, no matter what opinion you're coming from. Um, but for those of you, and I'm, uh, yes, I'm speaking to you, you know who you are, who get into my DMs and, and have a discussion and then leave it with I love you, 
is obviously a family member. Um, I appreciate that. I love that. It's amazing because that is how change happens. That's how we go from there will be zero abortions on one end of the, of the spectrum to there's going to be more and more abortions. Shout your abortion. Kids are having abortions without telling their parents. Those two ends of the spectrum, the only way to get to the happy middle that we can all agree on and feel good about and have um, a clear conscience about is if we meet in the middle and discuss and then decide based off of fact what is the right thing to do. And so I'll leave you there. Again, um, if you haven't already, please uh, jump onto iTunes uh, or, or Apple Podcasts, jump onto Google and, um, and leave a review. You don't have to type a paragraph about how amazing and, and, and insightful I am or anything like that. You can just say, it's I. If that'd be kind of cool if I saw a bunch of five-star reviews. Four-star, I'll take it. But five-star reviews saying, eh, it's all right. That'd be pretty cool. I'd love to see that. Um, but if you're not sure how to get to the podcast, you're just, um, you're just, you're just discovering it or it's just popping into your feed or, or whatever you, you like to listen to random podcasts, whatever. Follow us on Instagram at Friday underscore detox. The link in the bio is my link tree and it's got all the different places that you can find the podcast. Give us a follow, leave us a review. Uh, and then me personally at B as far as a 1787, that's my personal account. And that's where I post all of my political crap that probably just annoys everybody. Um, but anyways, I'll leave y'all there again. I never jump on here to try to offend people or make people feel bad or anger people. My desire is to maybe anger you just enough to where you come on the show and we can discuss these things and we can all just be mature adults and create a community of kind Americans. So with that, have a great weekend. Let go of all the crap, all the political stuff that was thrown at you. Refresh over the weekend. Visit a family member. Walk the dog. Get out into nature. Um, be there for somebody who, who needs, a, needs a hug, needs a hand, uh, or needs some help moving some furniture. And, uh, and then rest up. Be back ready to hit it on Monday. And I've got an awesome Monday morning message ready for you locked and loaded for Monday morning. So I'll see you then. Take care, guys.